Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another all-new X's for Show, your live media response show. I'm Nico, and you can catch me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And my favorite part of number ones is seeing how many prestige pages play out over the first few sequences. How many splashes can we pack in? And I'm TK. You can find me at XNateXGrayX. And my favorite part of number ones is... Uh, Putting bets down on how many issues the thing is actually going to have. That's the thing. And that makes me Kevo. You can find me over at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And my favorite part of number ones is probably counting the number of times they wink, nudge, refer back to things from the past. Like, it's totally natural to talk this way. Mm. It's not. But that's okay. It that's is. Okay. It really is okay. And, you know, I do want to say that I think it's very okay that Marvel loves number ones. Uh, we are, of course, here today to continue our return to comic coverage. I'm so glad we're back to this stuff where we're talking about the, you know, the general scape of the Marvel Universe, focusing on some specific projects, having a great time, right? But one of the things that we definitely enjoy talking about on this show, more than most oh. other topics... It, I'm tiny. I'm in. The, I'm in the corner watching the comics. Oh, so um, one of the things we definitely talk about a lot on this show is the nature and the state of the comics industry as a whole. Something that uh, does not escape our grasp is that the amount of money it costs to produce a number one and a number seven, for instance, are roughly the same amount of money. The difference is a number one has number one sales and number sevens have, well, number seven sales. So when you can sell 100,000 units of a spider book simply because it says number one, or you could sell 22,000 units of a spider book simply because it's number seven, and they cost the same amount of money, don't you have a fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders to ensure the best sales point for these titles? And you, dear viewer, are the problem. Because you're the one that's not buying the number seven. And if you bought the number <laughs> seven, they would keep making the number seven. I mean, we're all guilty of it. Like, And it's, you know... I will say the one part of it that slightly muddles things is in our digitally time-shifted world, uh, it's just a different thing when it comes to when you're going to get to something. Um, I have not bought an issue of Scarlet Witch in a hot minute. I fully intend to buy all of them and will read it. Scarlet Witch's sales after issue four plummeted and they plummeted from one to two of course because they always do but they really plummeted from four to five and um i'm part of the problem there but i do intend to pay for and read all of it uh so uh, it just really is tough because our habits have all really changed and sometimes i can't help but notice that the metrics have not really changed along with us and I think it also has to do with our expectation of format. You know, something that happens a lot on this show is we live by triage. And that's just kind of like the nature of being, um, you know, <laughs> I could not think of the phrase like uh, trying to like build your own empire. It's almost like that's the dangers of being young, hung and full of cum. Like, I just like <laughs> but it's also that it's life. Comics. Somebody got to do it. Um, full of comics. Full of comics. Um, the, the real reality here is 
we are always trying to get ahead of what's next, right? And that's all any industry is doing. When you create a show that talks about media, when you create media, you're trying to figure out what's next, right? So something that constantly happens is Marvel accepts pitches, right? I, I always flash to the um, this article, I remember, that Joe Quesada, Joey Q, who uh, is responsible for the stunning Daredevil variant, that we used in the incredible cover that Kevo uh, put together as our one of a kind digital professional, uh, you know, looks amazing up there. But that's, you know, that's Joey Q's real signature sort of uh, daredevil look. I love it so much. Yeah, we do love you, Joey Q. That is absolutely right. And so, you know, we talk about how the comic industry has been around for a zillion years, right? And... I don't think that the comic industry really had a chance to figure out what to do about the internet moving at the speed of the internet. We're watching a drag surprise. We're watching Drag Race, and they get to an episode where they're talking about the JLo dress, and um, that it really is the thing that, like, in the, that they built the Google image search around the JLo dress, and I kind of you know use that as a benchmark because. The world didn't get a chance to get used to Google image search. Suddenly there was Google image search and we all had to live with the consequences of this thing we wanted. And I'll never forget Because I remember where I was going with the Joey Q thing. Joey Q is talking about uh, Thor by Matt Fraction and the pitch he got and every page of the pitch he got. And I only wish um, contributor extraordinaire and uh, wonderkind. Uh, speaking of, you know, so beautiful, uh, contributor Jake were here so that they could, you know, kind of vibe with me on some of this Thor stuff, because I know they're also a really big Thor fan and like this particular run. Um, but I think about what Joey Q said about Matt Fraction's Thor, that like every beat was the greatest book he'd ever read in his life. And like, yeah, there's hyperbole involved, but like, there's also, Hey guys, this is the Bernie Sanders campaign. And it's not that we don't think we had the votes here. It's just that everybody didn't come out because of the rain. Like, you know, there's all of that. Um, speaking of comics, people who manage expectations, um, you know, there's all that expectations managing. And so if this wasn't the book that he believed in, he never would have gone in so hard on it, but then it didn't work. It just didn't work. And a lot of that had to do with Ed Brubaker's meteoric rise to success, leading to Ed Brubaker leaving Captain America with minutes of notice. So, uh, yikes. But, um, yeah, that, that's where I'm at. I think, I think part of the problem is so many of these pitches, we accept 1 through 11 all at once, uh, you know, as, as editors. And then all of a sudden, at issue 3, people don't love that direction they loved some of the other stuff. And now you have to quickly retool some stuff that's already been drawn. And that's certainly why this era of uh, four to six issue minis makes a ton of sense. You know, it it is a bit of a compromise in terms of like, we're not going on indefinitely, but we'll give you a full arc. And if it turns out at issue three that the hype is not there, We'll be done with this soon and we can go back to the drawing board. But at the same time, it means that this medium is having to change entirely 
in a kind of piecemeal way because we're not entirely getting rid of the ongoing, uh, right? But we're certainly not guaranteeing it. It's pretty much unlikely that you're going to be the creator that gets the ongoing. Uh, it's really unlikely that your ongoing is going past 12 issues. Um, and so the expectations that you have as a creator get wonky and you wind up with brilliant writers like uh, Steve Orlando, who is basically creating the Orlando verse pocket dimension within, you know, Marvel 616 entirely out of like five issues here of spider-man 2099 woven in with pieces of marauders woven in with you know eventually some other book that he's going to end up on and that's really i i commend him so much for playing the game that way and figuring out how to get his concept for marvel as a whole in all these various minis but as somebody who watched, you know, the titans of comic writing really get to put their stamp on things over many years and many issues, uh, it frustrates to be like, I'm not super interested in Spider-Man 2099, but I'm really interested in how one of the 2099 X-Men got onto Krakoa in Marauders. Now I have to buy this book. <laughs> Uh, because Steve Orlando is not allowed to put all that place, all that stuff in the same place. And it's, you know, I'm so glad you were able to help me like bring it back around to my original point, which is so when Marvel accepts something like a Thor pitch or each pitch from Steve Orlando, they are still operating comics under this format with solicits where we're doing things months in advance and they're, they're coming out based on like what a cover might look like. And then what and it just it's not the way to tell a story and this industry has this weird chokehold on the shops that get the books and you know i'm not here to go on it on an why don't comics as an industry take care of the shop owners take care of the creators you know i'm not ready to go on one of those tears right now but what i do want to bring up is that the nature of this engine where the comic machine has to change so powerfully and so regularly leads the industry to a very different place than it ever used to be i have these like childhood memories of thinking the prestige of a number did something such that when they would launch a new one i always felt like that new number one felt like it was for the new guy even though i quickly understood even as a kid like you know they launch x-men number one by jim lee it's Claremont and Jim Lee, but it's by Jim Lee. And then over on Uncanny, Uncanny's still going. And it relaunched too, and it's really cool. And now it's got Bishop, and it's cool. And like, I hear for it. I love that era of Uncanny, and actually that era of X Men too. Big fan of that 91, 92 relaunch. But like, by issue seven, it's one book. It's literally one book. They treat it as one book. The stories that start in the one book just automatically go over to the other. There's no fine control on it. The same thing happens with Spider-Man after it's relaunched by McFarlane around the same time. And that's not a bad thing per se. But for so many years, we treated high numbering as class. And anybody with a low number... Well, that was like, that was the young cocky upstart. That was like, you know, we really did not look at those books culturally the same way. 
And then came, you know, the fall of the 90s, the great restarting that Marvel did after Onslaught, uh, after Avengers The Crossing. And it just became a new world for the Marvel Universe. And I feel like comics has yet to exactly understand how to catch up to an industry where the responses are no longer a month later in the back pages, but rather are instantaneous uh, live. People are reacting to these number ones as they're happening. And Marvel used to have three months and now they don't. <laughs> and it's so funny, you know, I was in preparing for this, I was looking at some solicits and like some, uh, they, the Marvel just put out a, a uh, press release with solicits for September. Um, and, you know, all of the new fall of X books, almost all of them are in issue number two uh by september so i'm reading all these solicits and i'm just feeling like man i have to read them hype up number two when i haven't even read number one yet and i don't really know what we're talking about and meanwhile like i'm i'm reading these pitches that are just like Forget about number one. Number one's over. Remember number two. We're in number two zone. <laughs> I haven't even gotten number one yet, and I'm not convinced that number one isn't going to get a tag featuring George Clooney. So, number one is for babies. Yeah. Number one is for babies. <laughs> and I just, you know, on top Move of Move out like, of the way. How... Time for Dan Stevens. <laughs> on top of how incredibly silly it sounds, like uh, that laugh is just exactly it. It's also just like, uh, what is this? What are we? What are we doing here? Who is this for? So, and that's the thing for me. Uh, they, I think, sometimes don't understand that the nature of this industry is still like there's readers. There's a readership more than anything, right? And while I wouldn't always say that the readership is a specific body, right? The readership is made up of a beautiful diversity of uh, dozens of different like makeup groups and uh, geog geographic locations. But the one core thing that this group has is that they're willing to plunk down a huge amount of money on these books. And the nature of the number one cycle is definitely beginning to wear on me a little bit. Uh, Kevo, I would love to get up that first slide of number ones. Heck yeah, we would. So once again, I just want to point out this is a variant for Spider-Man number one, a variant for Daredevil number one, and a variant for Ultimate Invasion number one. Three titles that definitely were central to, or are central to crossover events going on. I left out almost every crossover exclusive title from this list because I just couldn't do it. It was too many. be coughing it's good yeah if you could just talk for a second dude oh sorry sorry yeah. <laughs> um, he's entranced well what i would like to do right this second is uh pull up a comment from the amazing tori sheehan who uh i so love talking to about comics because she just has the hottest takes and tori asks yes. do you think we'll move towards dropping several issues at once like the first three and then once a month kind of like streaming you know like doing a full season drop or even like half a season drop at a time. Um, 
I honestly, I don't think we will ever do that because I don't see, uh, especially the big two thinking outside the box like that. What I could see happening is a studio like Boom doing an entire season of one of their Buffy books like that and it pulling in readership in such a way that everybody's like, oh, we should copy that and we should do exactly what they're doing. But short of some kind of miracle like that where somebody tries the strategy and it just knocks it out of the park in terms of like a sales model uh in terms of getting people really excited and keeping that momentum going past the initial drop uh i don't see it happening um well and if i can jump in for a sec now that i'm done coughing to death please um the problem with dropping several issues at once is you're guaranteed to have a fall off no matter what. Right. You're guaranteed that no one's going to buy three without buying one, without buying two. So if you drop three issues at once, you're now compelling people to have to buy multiple titles all the same day. Right. And the other thing that happens as a result is we saw it a little bit with um, the X-Men event, Ten of swords and i was actually just thinking about how much i i don't like ten of swords earlier today yeah um it's really funny like now that i've taken a huge step back from the krakoan age of x-men i can see that the bloom was off the rose much earlier than i ever thought and um i've maybe been like less than madly in love since probably the first arc of everything ended well that's what you said you know you said for you it's really that first six issues of everything yeah. is amazing. Uh, you know, Hawks Pox, first six issues of everything. And then we are in sort of the lead up to X of Swords at that point. And, um, and, and, you know, well, just on that, like Ten of Swords, I think about the thing that actually broke me was so much of the marketing mm-hmm. had nothing to do with the book. The marketing led us to believe that it was going to be an event where there were like 10 fights over 10 swords because they were clear that it is the 10 of swords, which they mean as a a tarot card. They mean it clever, not intrinsic to the story. And I would have been furious as it was because of the pandemic, three issues of 10 of swords would drop a week and you bought three issues of 10 of swords a week And you had to check the order because it was a 22-part crossover that was originally supposed to come out over six months that had to get compressed down to eight weeks because of the pandemic. So, uh, you know, Tori, that's a great question. You know, just one more time, Tori's question was, do we think that the industry will ever move to having, like, three drop? Um, You know what? Yeah, they'll just call it, like, a giant size number one. I was going to say number one. I could see a lot more uh, giant size number ones, like, basically half trades and then you're not half trade great you're not really getting more after that like maybe there's two of those and that represents an arc mm-hmm. um so you know if we if we look at something like uh betsy braddock captain britain maybe you split that into two much larger books uh and that's the entire story and you know it, it'll cost seven seven to ten dollars uh and that's all you've got but then you're really not risking the huge die-off of oh this was supposed to be five issues and everybody gave up at issue three 
Well, and, you know, I really like what you're saying because it makes me think about, like, what, where could we take this next? Yeah. Maybe somebody could come up with, uh, like, an issue that, like, uh, maybe it's told from multiple perspectives or something where, like, it's, like, it's the same issue one, but it's told, like, from several different characters. You know what like, you're describing right now. Like, I, I only thought I could uh, vamp long enough to get Kevo the image secretly in the back. Oh, he's working on it. <laughs> Kevo's working on it, so don't For worry. those who don't know, one of the things we're talking about is actually a central heart of the number one argument. Now, funny enough, the thing I sent Kevo is the number zero wizard preview. Uh, because it's more definitive than any of the covers to number one, which only feature one or two characters at a time. Uh, I love. Uh, so I already name dropped this genius of a of a of a human, uh, Jacob, earlier. Uh, but yeah, kind of like a Rashomon. It actually does do something very similar. Um, Slingers was like the most number onesie thing that ever happened at Marvel. These four heroes. We have three up top, and we have. One down at the bottom, that's Prodigy, Ricochet, Dusk, and um, Hornet. Hornet, thank you. Jeez, that was upsetting. Yeah, um, good. These four actually each get their own version of number one of Slingers. Yeah. There's a body 16 pages that copies across every version of the issue. And then there's eight exclusive pages to each character. And I did a project where I used issue zero, which was a wizard exclusive and uh, number one. And I built a perfect issue. Number one with everything in sequential order. That number one is 118 pages long. And it's, you know, honestly, not bad. Uh, really not. And Kevo, that's a beautiful job. Thank you so much for pulling up the, I mean, I, when I say that that was like quite literally, I devolved and I would like, I, I think I like, forced tk like at like at at like web point i was like thwip we're covering this this was one of the like nico i don't know i think we were done when you know mc2 ended i don't think we we're still doing this and you're like no we are still doing this and then i was really into it because it this is actually a very prescient moment for marvel it is because this number one is this huge undertaking and it's definitely not perfect but it's interesting and it creates all this this momentum in these characters and then the rest of it it's 16 more issues 12 more issues uh, it's a total of 12 issues, four versions of number one and zero. Right. Uh, the the next, the issue two, from issue two onward, it is not really great. And uh, it didn't sell that well anyway. The number ones didn't sell that way. But well, but certainly two through 12 really did not sell well. There was a real drop off. So this, this was like, a, we're just going to go hard on number one. We're going to throw all our eggs in the number one basket. And then it was a different time. So even when the number one sold poorly, they were still publishing 12 issues. They still got that 12. Yeah, man. Uh, but it was the same vibe that we get a lot now where anything that isn't a certainly a four to six issue mini, if it has that total die off after issue one, you just kind of everybody's love for it goes away and whatever is left to publish gets published. And then we turn on and we're on to the next project. Um, but man, that, that zero and four number ones is a moment, you know, back in 1997 title meant that uh, a maxi series is a promise and you can't afford to lie. 
So it's all perfect. Uh, the video is awkwardly paced. It's very light sensitive. Um, no, I'm, I'm being funny about the nature of the way we treated media in the 90s. But I do think Slingers as a number one is representative of so many things that would go on to become corruptive of the process of the number one. The number one is corruptive. Number one is like, um, you know, there's that initial entry point to anything where you first get into it, where you like jump in too hard. And I think the number one has become a toxic culture in comics. I think if we were able to debullyify, unthanos the number one, I think we could do a lot to fix the comic industry. I think you're right. And I think we're all part of the problem. We all get really into the thing, the thing that's coming. I can't believe we're doing this. I can't believe I'm seeing Madeline Pryor lead an X-Men team with Gambit and M-Plate. And it's so hot and it's serving such cunt. And then we're not really going to care at issue two if we're all not going to care. And, uh, you know, that one, I'll give you a little bit of an exception because we're so starved for Maddie content. We really want to see where it goes. But no matter who you are, no matter how much you love that Dark X-Men number one is happening, no matter how much you love that first issue and are hyped for the second, your steam is going to lower by an order of magnitude from where it is talking on Twitter today about how excited you are for this number one. Tori Sheehan, I wish to God I could get you in this room right the fuck now. <laughs> Let me talk to you about this. Tori Sheehan, who has been my confidant, my friend, my partner, my, my you know, creative super force my entire life uh, for the last, like, decade at this point, says, so then which is the bigger market? Uh, getting new fans for a number one or ruining a fandom you have by shaking so much and uh, whimpering out? Girl, please, I would never make you. You are good. Your face, number one, beautiful. But if you want to beat it, anytime. But so here's the here's the thing, right? <clears throat> I am. I'm, anybody else ever go to an exact place when they go to say something? Whenever I say it is my belief, I'm immediately Janet at the start of the velvet rope. Um, but it is my belief that comics fans contribute to a, a cosmosphere. Like, there's something about the moment of zeitgeist where we all become one with that big thought. And comics, which started as this thing that you were a nerd if you read, and man, that was cool. But, like, it grew into this bigger thing, and now it's the nerd in all of us. And, Kevo, thank you for so much for flashing to this board, because I believe once you read Silk, once you're like, wait a minute, there's an Asian female spider wo woman for me? As somebody who might be an Asian female or might just really connect with those characters, you will never be gone forever. I'm really openly in a place of derision for modern comics this last couple of months. I just have not picked up books the way I used to. Uh, and it'll cycle back on. And in like nine months, I'm going to be all about it again, which is why I'm keeping up with it. And I'm not like burning bridges. But I'll say we're in an interesting place now because you have some like the story's not for me vibes. But we've also been talking so much about like logistically, let's shake up the industry. And I think uh, that's a really big change where it's like, you know, we all didn't love when the decimation happened, but we were still like comics, comics, comics. Now it's really like I've been doing I've been seeing things change too much and seeing the opportunities to publish differently too clearly to not hold this industry that I love and know is capable of more deeply responsible. 
Yes. Say yes. Keep going though. Because here's the thing, right? I believe in the rebuilding season. I'm believe it or not, I'm kind of a sports guy. Not in any because I don't really believe in professional sports as like a, a model to follow financially. It's just a money pit. But like the fundamentals of professional sports can be dictated throughout many things. It's why things like Moneyball are so successful, right? And I believe in the quality and the value of a rebuilding year. You can say there isn't anything in pushing X-Men harder this year. So we should go under the radar and start up again. So I'm going to be really honest with you. Legitimately, those those controlled burn years, right? I don't believe the world was ready to understand Wolverine's Y chromosome. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a dumb beast man. Like mentality where he's Cro-Magnon, where the roles of gender are that. They're a chromosome. You know what I mean? I don't believe that that Wolverine was ready to be the father to the ex-children that he is today if it hadn't been for Decimation-era Wolverine interacting with Laura. Now, the whole world hated Laura. Like, as a guy who was able to get his copy of NYX number 3 for $12, the whole world wasn't crazy about Laura. But time picked up, and everybody kind of got with it, and... I think my point is these dark times, these low eras do allow characters to rise up. But one of the reasons I made sure to include Silk on this list is Silk has another number one just a year later. We have Excellent here who has another number one just a year later. We have Knights of X here who has a number one in Captain Britain just a year later. There becomes a cyclical pattern. Now, I am beginning to see a hierarchical echelon forming. Silks, Captain Britons. And you know what? I'm gonna also say, like, uh, David Haller, you know, Legion, who was one of my all time favorite characters, just to bring up Dan Stevens again, who is like inexplicably the most talented man in the world. <laughs> he can sing, he can act. And now he's joining the cast of Solar Opposites, or as I call it, Star Trek Without the Fun. Um, lower that decks without the Star that's Trek. it yeah. it's lower decks that Star Trek but the Star Trek is the fun let's be clear yeah um yeah. I do think as a fan the, yeah as a fan yeah well let's you know Kevo if you want to zoom in anytime Kevo you want to just go in the center and talk about your love of lower decks you just mute please um next time but I really do see how when I look at this schedule there's a hierarchical um archetyping that benefits the characters of legacy like Amazing Spider-Man, like Ghost Rider, and uh, doesn't benefit the Savage Avengers, who we have spent a weird amount of time talking about without actually talking about Savage Avengers in any significant way. Maybe we each just buy the omnibus and have like a, a like a fun drinking party. Deal. That that'll be a real alcohol poisoning risk. Um, and the crazy thing about Silk is that new number one launches right around the time. Spoiler alert for Spider-Man stuff. Uh, go away for like five minutes, maybe less than that. <laughs> I'm about to. I'm about to spoil this most recent dance lots run of Spider-Man. You've been warned. Why uh, did you say his name? Uh, did anybody else's internet just flicker off? This is this is a Beetlejuice moment. Um, the end of the Spider-Verse arc of Spider-Man ends essentially with. Silk, you are the most important spider person. We all thought it was Peter Parker. It's actually not. It's you. 
we now must figure out what to do with you as our leader. You are the 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 totem. You are the pinnacle spider person. Meanwhile, this new number one silk is launching, and it's like fine. It's just a silk adventure. It's just a fucking silk book. I'm devastated. Actually. Um, which does so little justice to the character. It's insulting. But it's a great also, book. That's like if this was the second arc of synergy. four. Sorry, I just I, I just wanted to say it's a good book. It, yeah. If this had been the second arc of four, it'd be great. But yeah. yeah, you are screwing your own synergy. When I see Silk in one book, I want to see her somewhere else, the same Silk. And you could have a character who is ready for a film franchise and is not Aaron Taylor Johnson getting bit by a radioactive lion. Is that? Yeah. No. You know, you have, okay. You, you have this woman who is ready to be a franchise leader, who is not uh, a property that you have to share with Marvel the way you have to share Peter Parker, who could just be so interesting. And you you did the work to build her up so that you could position her that way. And then you're not taking these uh, like relatively minor steps in the grand scheme of comics publishing to set her up for your own benefit. Because I think there's more money in drawing. Like It's like Tori's question. You know, I want to just say one more time. We got this great question from the audience. What's a bigger market? Getting new fans or ruining your fandom? There is no ruining your fandom. Yeah. Once these characters are a part of your consciousness, you know, I cannot tell you how often when I worked at a comic shop and I'm just some like dumb 20 year old. And these guys would come in and they're like 62 and they would be like, my grandkid told me that these movies are coming out. They say that they're awesome. I'm going to check out the movies, but I want to know where the characters I love are now. Can you find me Thor? Can you find me Iron Man? Can you find me Green Lantern? I'm sorry. I meant the uh, John, the, the Green Lantern, who's also black. And you would always be like, you can say he's a black man. You don't have to say he's the Green Lantern, who's also black. It was... <laughs> That's a specific memory I have. Um, and that was at a, a store long gone, MC Comics in uh, Old Bridge. Anybody who has, uh, anybody who ever listens that has cool stories about MC and wants to talk about uh, surviving, anytime you want, I'm here. Uh, we also have a really great point from Taryn and Galima. Uh, Taryn Enigma, hey, hey. I can't read. I can't read. Uh, I don't. Anyway, so Taryn Enigma uh, says, "Look, we uh, and we back our female characters. We're inclusive, ready to be more progressive." You know what? I want to point out just how correct uh, audience member Taryn is here. If you take a look at March twenty twenty two, you can see Strange Number One, starring Clea and kind of starring Wong, kind of Wongers, right? Um, but it's sure Clea on the cover, like to be clear, the marketing, clear. Was, the marketing was Clea is strange. She's the one on the cover. So there are nice ways to talk about to her. her. So, um, by the way, so, okay. So, but then, uh, Kevo, would you flash to, I want to say January? I don't know. The next one? Yeah. Or the next one is the rest of the year. Great. Uh, strange, I think it's strange. I think strange. it's after this. 
Okay, next oh, one, you please. Need, you need the last one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, strange, strange, strange. Did anybody see Strange? <laughs> Doctor Strange, March. Okay. <laughs> oh, Doctor yeah. There's a lot of titles in March. March was Now, here's why I actually made this list so long. Almost every one of these that's a, a mini is a mini response to a previous ongoing. Mm-hmm. When it was Mr. and Mrs. X, Rogan Gambit was an ongoing. Spider-Gwen had three quick ongoing volumes. By the way, Spider-Gwen, who was like, man on Earth, there are so few times you get to be a character fan of anything in this universe that's gotten so right in this world. It is Robert Downey Jr. as Sherlock Holmes. It is Charlie Cox as Daredevil. And it was this move, this Spider-Verse's interpretation of Spider-Gwen where I just sat being like, you guys don't understand. That is the pain that this character carries in her heart every minute of every day. Like, I have never seen people take pain and synthesize it across mediums so well. Was Spider-Verse a perfect film? No. Was every second Spider-Gwen was on the screen? screen, screen. Spider-Gwen on the screen quite perfect? I think so. But uh, enough Barbara Walters. Um, man, Barbara Walters as old lady Spider Gwen would be the most incredible. I am here to spin a web. Um, anyway, Doctor Strange, new number one. They stopped caring about it. Yeah, yeah we got 12 issues of Strange featuring Clea. By issue eight, we bring back Stephen Strange. And then it's their book. It's not her book, it's their book. It is their book. Um, and Jake's you know, and. <laughs> To be fair, he looks so hot as a ice white polar bear fox death man. Uh, I really almost wish... as hot as uh, Tony Stark Ant Man. Truly, I, I really wish they had not brought him back in this standard form. But so anyway, twelve issues. One year later, we are back to Doctor Strange, and it plays into every piece of cynical, frustrating thing we have where. We do Death of Doctor Strange right around the time that the Doctor Strange films come out. There, a film comes out. There's hype around the name Doctor Strange. We shut things down. You know, the uh, Doctor Strange ends with Charlize Theron as Clea showing up. Now God, I wish she knew anything about that scene. I really? wish if anybody, because people keep being like, "So, what did you think about that?" And she's like, "I don't know. I walked out of a bodega and into a sound studio, and they said stand here, so I did." Yeah. And, Can we and, talk you know, about how that's your Vincent D'Onofrio impression? It's also my... The two of them are frighteningly similar, if not in look. It's cool. laugh. And they, have, <laughs> and they have the same dreads in uh, Fast and Furious. Yes. They would. So, you know, Clea's now in the zeitgeist. She's popular right now. We're hearing the name. So we do 12 issues of a Clea book. That's actually really seven issues of a Clea book and then... Five, five issues of a, a duo book in which strange is just so important because he the, he's the fulcrum of the universe then we restart the whole thing with dr strange and you'll forgive me if i'm a little bit cynical at that point and maybe i'm not super interested in collecting this book so i buy the number one to just confirm that it is not the greatest book i've ever seen it's not it's totally good 
it's it's a great start to a new arc, but uh, it's not game changing. Which after the rigmarole of the last year of Doctor Strange and Strange related stuff, I kind of need for it to be amazing because I'm feeling a little cynical. And then I have not picked it up since. And researchers are going to look at that data and go. Doctor Strange wasn't popular after number one. We should restart it and do a new number one. And that's just one of the ways that we get to this state that we're in where we have these number ones. But uh, you are really shooting yourself in the foot publishing this way. You did a terrible job jerking me off and then you ruined my orgasm. I'm not not inclined to let you try again. And so like... That's a little bit where my eyes are bugging out because I feel like you're right. And it's about design. Number one, I just want to go on record as saying, TK, you are technically being incorrect. Everybody knows that the reason the book was called Strange and then Doctor Strange is because women can't be doctors. Number two, I want to go on to say that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Women are the best doctors. So I want to go on to say that um, if Doctor Strange had started with a five-issue arc that showed me... Because Jed McKay's writing of Doctor Strange is so good that even though he barely used Doctor Strange for much of his run, he communicated his Doctor Strange effortlessly. You know, Jed McKay might be not my choice for Avengers, um, but it's just because I don't know that we need an Avengers book in this form. It's definitely not Jed McKay's lack of talent. The guy's incredibly talented. And his Doctor Strange reflected that. You know, we never saw his Doctor, but we understood him. So if what he had done was had a had been given, because I don't think he went to Marvel and said, here's how we're going to do my book. We're going to do an event. I don't think that's what, by the way, we have an interview with Jed McKay. He, in fact, does not sound like a methed out Joe Pesci. So uh, if he had walked into Marvel's offices and said, you know, I would like to um, the, you know, I would like to do an arc and then go into the death of Dr. Strange and then keep the same title strange and have it be about Clea and Wong and then keep that same title when we bring him back. If the book was at 40 issues and that had happened, it would have felt like when Ed Brubaker killed Captain America. It would have felt like when Chris Claremont brought uh, Wolverine to the brink and crucified him and had a young woman have the fortitude and strength of self to save him. Like, that's what you could have done here. But by dressing it, in what feels like little more than um, look at me, pick me. It's it's pick me dumbness is what it is. I would have a whole lot easier time swallowing the Jed McKay era of Doctor Strange at Marvel if I didn't feel like I was being spoken down to about it. But that's kind of what these number ones start to feel like because it's something Kevo said at the very beginning of the episode. He's not just uh, you know, a brilliant producer and an imageman. He's also um, you know, a really great fan and something I love is when he sees something in a in a pattern that I hadn't noticed. Yeah, man. I really hate that Chips Darsky had to give up uh 3 pages of that spectacular Daredevil number one to be like, everybody's read Shadowland. But look, just in case you haven't, here's what you missed in Shadowland. And it's going to help you to understand all of the major events that are about to happen here. Because there's going to be a lot of things we don't talk about. You need to know those things too, because they're going to come up later. It's been such a fun time having this number one. And like that level of performative transformation is 
not where not where my dick's at. It's just not. And it has nothing to do with a lack of ability. Chibs Darsky's written the deftest uh, Daredevil book outside of Mark Wade ever. But there is something about the hand-holding. There's something about the... Okay, number ones feel like new networks. That's what it is. Number the... ones always feel like a new network. Arcs feel like new seasons. Number ones feel like you have to reintroduce everything for the new audience. I think that's the danger a lot of the time. But then I look at things like uh, Bloodline, like Bishop War College, uh, Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain. There are a lot of these number ones that to me don't feel that way, but they do feel like um, parts of a whole that have been orphaned in a way that doesn't really suit anybody. Bishop War College is a fantastic Krakoan story with you know the one of the you know the the leader of the war captains and a bunch of young mutants these are all concepts from uh this x-men age that we're all aware of and it's a really good story but i'm not sure where it came from such that this book needs to exist and i definitely don't know after where it's going i don't have any like you saw uh surge come into her own now you will see her in the pages of this book completing that journey continuing that journey it's just surge is now wikiable as having had this moment in bishop war college so in two years when she shows up and goes i'm actually a lot more skilled now and there's a little asterisk somebody can go and discover that that happened in Bishop War College and flip a coin about whether or not they're going to go pick up the trade and read that or just understand that it happened. And I wish that it were part of any sort of connected whole, you know, a Krakowin's book in which all of these little orphan stories about characters could be long and I could put them with the x-men in something other than just like this little side room that is not doesn't feel like it's part of the rest of the house fun fact um when i was 17 years old i was going to marry serge um and then she became xenophobic against other people of asian descent and i decided that didn't work for me and then <laughs> oh. they've just sort of never tried to acknowledge it and so i get to uh want to marry serge now that she's an adult woman and can uh consent and is so fucking cool so uh man oh god you brought up a new x-men academy x kid just to get me lost in my thoughts about how that's the greatest generation of x-men kids ever bar yeah. none yeah. Uh, you could knock the new mutants off a pedestal any day with these kids. These kids were, you know, prodigy. David Elaine is like literally the most important ex kid ever. Mm -hmm. Like everyone else seems secondary to David to me. I just can't, I can't care about any Danny, maybe. Um, and then I will fight anyone to the death. Tabby is the most important member of X Force. So. Uh, I, I'll say also, I mean, some of the best work they've done with the kids, Sync. Sync also really graduated. Yeah, uh, my partner Jacob says uh, of my, of my like, uh, there should be a Kirk Owens book. That's a lot like X-Men Unlimited, which is true. But 
X-Men Unlimited is doing a bunch of that work in these really small increments that, you know, there's a whole other thing to talk about X-Men Unlimited. Um, I, I wish that Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, uh, Bishop War College, uh, X-Men, uh, New, uh, New Mutants, Lethal Legion, that all of these books were similarly bound to something else uh, in the way that X-Men Unlimited is bound to itself. Uh, but it's it, the, X-Men it's Unlimited. Responsorial. Yeah, and X-Men Unlimited is so unique. It's it is unique because it is the really the only ongoing digital uh digitally published Krakoan book. Um and it really has never fully committed to whether or not it's incredibly important to this or whole project. Ancillary. Yeah. Or if it's just totally optional. Uh and so, you know, it's it is definitely in its own way a step removed from the house in the same way that these five issue minis feel a step removed from the house. Can I pretend that I've had 11 drinks and say that I'm saying something really brave, but I'm really just saying something I feel like shouting? Yeah. Um, Usually. Right? I saw that Jason Lowe is going to do a new Mad Rock story. It's Mad Rocks yeah. and the Fantastic Four. Just started, I think. And I think it's a mistake. Um, There is this weird propensity to hold guys like Jason Lowe like, at a level lower. I don't know what the reading numbers are, but something I think about is I've been doing a lot of research for a Vertigo project we're doing. You know what's actually always a big fucking failure? A Vertigo book. You know what's always a big fucking failure? Every Vertigo book but Sandman. No Vertigo book sold. Yeah, books like private owned books like Fables, um, 100 Bullets. But like these books sold, but DC Universe Vertigo books sold very rarely they were always the kind of like the lower echelon a regular label dc book would sell better than a vertigo high profile version of the same title like a swamp thing or a kid eternity and that's even despite the fact that vertigo had a strict no reorders policy for those who don't know the way the comic industry works i mentioned it a little bit earlier but through solicits you order the number of issues you would like three months in advance sight unseen now you often have a month window to reorder vertigo due to their mature title uh quality supposedly but really just trying to create a sense of urgency and purchase said that there would never be reorder on vertigo titles and as such vertigo had a no reorders policy in order to drive up sales now in 1993 when vertigo published 113 titles in a year they had no problems but by 1995 bloom was off the rose and I bring this up because there is a real misunderstanding that the event moment is changing the world. The single greatest bit of acting I've ever seen in my life is Sarah Michelle Gellar screaming, read me the signs, tell me my fortune. It is literally the greatest piece of acting I've ever seen in my life. And I might just go to my grave feeling that way. Uh, anybody playing Mrs. Lovett could maybe come close. <laughs> um, but I bring this up because... When that happened, out of 107 shows on television, Buffy came in 102nd. It was the strength of those performances. And frankly, 
the sole back of Entertainment Weekly carrying Buffy across the the, the fucking finish Threshold. line. Yeah, that kept Buffy. For those who tuned in a little bit late, that's Kevo up in the corner. He's my incredibly hot husband who is also uh, a, a genius, but has less to say about comics, um, but is still definitely our producer with this incredibly hot boyfriend of mine, uh, TK, who is also a comics genius. So... Um, I'm just the dumb guy they keep around because I got cool hats. But you're just some drunk. I'm just the hot guy. So, um, but so the whole thing I'm bringing to is with these. Uh, where where was I? Say? Oh, right. So, you know, I think ultimately what I'm driving toward is by thinking that the only way a book can be successful is if its metric is measured in sales. You're going to always see reasons to keep Jason Lowe's off of Uncanny X-Men. But when you come to realize that Garth Ennis's landmark, record-breaking, world-changing, genre-redefining, medium-reintroducing run on Hellblazer, from which, to this day, books are stealing the book... Ghost Rider is little more than Garth Ennis's Hellblazer done by a new man doing it in a new way. But it's like somebody doing Romeo and Juliet at this point. That's how defining this book is. It did not sell well. It just didn't. I don't care what Jason Lowe's numbers are. Guys like Jason Lowe, uh, Torin Grunbuck, these are people who are telling stories that move the dial. And they don't just move the dial. They move the dial in a socially conscious way. Their stories are from a perspective that isn't being seen. And I mean that with no regard to demographic, but I mean that with regard to their personal experience, which, of course, is informed by demographic. But end of the day, every time I see Jason Lowe on X-Men Unlimited, when I think he should be relaunching X-Factor, is a day where I think Marvel continues to use the Marvel Unlimited brand and the infinite comic method as a way of saying we're giving you more without ever integrating it. But I'm here to say the integration of these ideas can only be great. Now, I, I would love to make like a horrible joke, <laughs> the integration of major league comic books, but like that still isn't fair because, you know, things like major league baseball integration is about the coming together of you know, a single identity. What I'm trying to say is actually a little bit different. I'm trying to say that, yes, all people play sports in a way that deserves to be celebrated together, but people write comics in a way that is so different that deserves to be celebrated together. The integration of what is considered the second echelon writers on things like Unlimited really needs to stop. And I think the move is to put Jason Lowe on a secondary Spider-Man book or secondary X-Men book. They're doing it with Torin Grunbeck on Realm of X, and I feel really positive on that. But I need to see more, and I need to see Marvel show that they're aware that that is a step, not the end goal. And I love that you brought up Jason Lowe, because another person that this is also happening to in the same moment is Terry Bloss. Yes. just announced earlier today that uh, he's starting what is issue 58 of Marvel voices, uh, Marvel voices, infinity comic. And it's Marvel voices, infinity comic runaways. Now at issue 58, it's an entirely new story, uh, about Carolina. And, uh, why is this not just a number one of a series that Terry Bloss is 
writing and publishing. I, I think it's a mistake. Terry Bloss is a voice that fandom knows and recognizes and loves, who has done great work, who has done representative work, and who I'm more interested in seeing and who I'm interested in Marvel investing in because he's a young, like comparatively new voice that I want to see being able to plant seeds that are coming to fruition. And I just think burying a lot of this stuff in uh, Unlimiteds and Infinity Comics, as much as I love those mediums, I say burying because I don't see the support for Infinity Comics. I, if I felt like Infinity Comics were really... Marvel were like, these are our babies and we want you reading these and we're trying to sell you our $20 membership in which you are getting great content from our Infinity line, then I would be like, yes, give Terry Bloss and Jason Lowe the good Infinity comics, the prestige Infinity comics, the top tier, you know, top pay tier Infinity comics. But for now, it really does just feel like we want your $10 a month. Here's what we'll trade you for it. Uh, get those guys to make the stuff that we'll trade for the $10. And you know, one of the things that is so crazy, and you know, Kevo, the greatest producer in the world, we've had the luxury of interviewing Jason Lowe three times, right? Uh, it, it's awkward when, like, you have a favorite writer working at Marvel and he's willing to be on your show multiple times. <laughs> you 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 book him a little more than makes sense. Uh, but when you have a favorite writer, you, you, you book him. So that's that, right? Uh, you know... Uh, I think about sort of the nature of the way there's a great artist and writer and uh, editor who says no two people get into comics the same way, right? There's no, once you break into comics that way, they close the door behind you so no one else can get in. And uh, Kebo just linking out to the round of bracketeering. Uh, with Jason Lowe, who played a game he barely understood, but man, we barely understand it. <laughs> no one understands it. That's the mm -hmm. point of the game. Mm -hmm. You can't uh, prepare; it just comes at you. It just happens. Uh, you know, get into I, it. Here's what I think. I wanna, I wanna get back to a positive place because yeah, yeah, getting yeah. a little ranty. Um, I, I think about the way you know, no two people break into comics the same way, and I think about how comics is better for that in some ways but i hate that sometimes it seems like the way comics is doing that is holding people back uh, i think about you know the pride creator the miracles creator joe glass whose characters just indie crossed over into the miracle uh, the miracles characters just indie crossed over into a donny cates book like that's crazy right the guy who wrote king in black like that donny cates and, uh, you know, I think about how the most he's ever contributed to a Marvel Pride book is a blurb. That guy is a guy that I respect so much. I've asked him to write the forward to our next Kid Riot volume. Like, that's a guy who is like such a, a, a premiere in queer comics. I'm not only lucky to count him as an editor of mine and a friend of mine, but like, I would, I would be a pick me gay for his attention if, <laughs> if he wasn't. So, 
you know, and I think about how Marvel doesn't make room for creators like that. And don't get me wrong. I understand that when you exist within a minority group, occasionally that minority group becomes frightening to mainstream audiences, right? I'm a queer man who identifies as super Latino despite being alabaster, which I like to refer to myself as the alabaster Latino. But, um, you know, it really is about understanding the shape of these number ones. And this is so funny because this conversation was really supposed to be about number ones. And part of why I designed this, we've gone, like I said earlier, a lot of a lot of show design is triage. Mm -hmm. And so as we designed this episode, uh, I was thinking about how this is really an opportunity for us to communicate some ideas about the general shape of comics. You know, I'm really glad you said something about um, Bishop War College because I wanted to bring it up. I am long on record as saying that the sexiest man in all of the X-Men is Bishop. Yes. Uh, and the only guy who has come close to him in Marvel in the last 50 years is Tony Stark Iron Man. Ant-Man. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Ant-Man, thank you. Tony Stark Ant-Man is the like, sexiest man in any universe. But I saw when I was going through the February books that we had Blade Daughter of uh, Bloodline Daughter of Blade and we had Bishop War College, yeah. which are two books with a very black focus. And I'm so grateful for that because as a man who has existed in diverse spaces my whole life, the lack of black voices makes me not want to buy books, right? Uh, show design only lasts as long as the moment Nico can. Yeah, that is correct. Tori Sheehan is a very funny lady. Um, so, I, but I think about the fact that I love that we got this Bishop book, but why has it been 20 years since we've had an actual Bishop title? It's so cool that we got a Bishop title that has room for so many amazing characters and diversity and so much inclusion, but I would have traded that for maybe an arc of just Bishop because mm -hmm. this didn't feel like Bishop War College. This felt like Bishop's War College, kind of like Strange Academy never really feels like Strange's Academy. I mean, it never feels like Strange Academy. It never feels like he's there. It feels like Strange's Academy. Well, yeah, most of it, Strange is not there. And, right. you know, Bishop War College, a little dissimilar insofar as he has a whole plot, but it's half a plot. It's so half a plot. separate. It's right. It's completely separate. So you've got basically uh, two and a half books worth of bishop story and then two and a half books worth of uh academy excess student uh story and that's a really different sell even than a five issue bishop story the way betsy braddock captain britain is fully a betsy braddock story i mean it's it's a it's a rachel story too but it's really if you were ever like man betsy doesn't get enough stories she did here, and I think after this, I'm like, Bishop got a great story. I don't know that he got a whole story. I don't know that he got the full run he was promised. And, you know, it's a bigger picture, too, because, like, this is the second volume of Cosmic Ghost Rider. That's the first volume of Wasp. Ever. Founding Avenger Wasp. This is the first ever Wasp number one that results in an ongoing. And it was a mini. So there has never been a Wasp number two before. I think about what that means for the state of number ones and the state of what's happening. And for as much as I am definitely complaining about the death of the ongoing as a 
grand pinnacle thing. I kind of liken it to Broadway, which I love. But man, I just had the pleasure of experiencing, uh, and I'm just gonna never stop talking about how cool um, Painter's Alley was in uh, in Tennessee, in uh, Nashville. It was just the most incredible thing. And it might have been Printer's Alley. My apologies, Printer's Alley. Um, it's just this magical, super neon, super incredible street that just hides uh, in the middle of this big, bustling city. And, you know, one of the things that I've found in experiencing this, like, you know, this different sort of expectation is these sort of like hidden gems are kind of everywhere. And it's about finding them in all of it. And I feel like there is a lot of magical wasp stuff out there. There is a lot of dig deep and you can find it wasp stuff. But the the trade-off is that it's not really being celebrated the way perhaps Avengers, uh, All Out Avengers. I almost said Avengers All Out Beyond Fight. But um, All Out Avengers is getting celebrated as a number one. Ultimately... By lowering what an Avengers number one is so that All Out Avengers number one is celebrated a little bit less, it is making it kind of possible for a Wasp number one to still be celebrated less than, unfortunately, All Out Avengers number one, but it's putting them within range of each other. And that kind of stretches back to my original point and touches back on the Marvel Unlimited point. We saw an era of... Nothing could break through. There couldn't be a new a number one. Ant-Man couldn't have a book. So, of course, Wasp couldn't have a book. But because some prestige offered to guys like Bishop, who has had an ongoing before Bishop the Last X-Man, which uh, had pencils by Georges Gentis, right? Or uh, because guys like Groot, who have never been able to hold out a number one, are having a four-issue miniseries to celebrate. I don't know, that he did a really good cycle. You know, we're seeing that ability for books like Wasp to thrive, where they couldn't have before. And for that, I'm grateful. And, you know, I think uh, Astonishing Iceman getting its number one in August, first time since... Iceman has been canonically put out into the world as a homosexual. No, he was. Uh, he had that ongoing by. Cena oh, that's Grace. right. That's completely right. That I always relaunched about those. fifteen times. Yeah, yeah. I but, always forget I, about those. Can I? It's because if it had been on, un, if Unlimited had existed with Infinite Comics, that's where that book would have been published. One hundred percent. That was my transition, though, to talking about the fact that we've got in. The in from August second to September sixth, so five weeks, we've got eight X Men titles that are getting number ones. Not a single one is an ongoing. Every single one is a limited series. There are a bunch of ongoings that will continue, and I'm pretty stoked. They're getting you know X Men will be on issue twenty nine at that point. Immortal X Men eighteen, X Men Red eighteen. Uh, X-Force 47. Wolverine. I'm sorry. X-Force 47. It's unfair to Ben Percy because everybody else has been given a chance to number one themselves but good. Yeah. And I carry so much resentment toward early X-Force for not being what I wanted where every other book has been given a chance to reset. Yeah. 
when X-Force and Marauders got those matching uh, annuals by Steve Orlando and Nadia Shamas, and then yep. Nadia Shamas didn't get X-Force, it's yep. not that I wanted Ben Percy off of X-Force. I, in fact, would have loved if Ben Percy kept writing X-Force. But then maybe Uncanny X-Force or X-Force Spotlight by Nadia Shamas that was even an infinite comic. You know, it's just, I'm feeling like Man, I'm burnt out on some of these number ones, but God damn it, give X-Force a low number. I don't care if you just started at seven. X-Force is just on seven. We've just decided 49 is too high. Seven is the new number one. Eat a dick, have a day. But I am really finding myself frustrated by the disharmony offered by no other X-Books except the two by Ben Percy eclipsing past 30 everything else being such low numbers creates a sense that those two books are somehow holdovers from the original Krakowin era, but they're not. They are distinctly new creatures. And if everything else is going to be beholden to this idea of restart your number, shouldn't X-Force not be beholden, but rather given the chance to celebrate? I couldn't agree more. Uh, and... I, I find it really unfortunate that not a single one of these titles that starts in August is has any chance of getting to even an issue 12. Oy. Uh, you know, Dark X-Men, I think, could be really fun to continue. Uh, Jean Grey, who knows? Um, I am very excited to see Louise Simonson writing a book again. As Jake says, Dark X-Men Volume 2, Number 1, and then we could go into Volume 3, Number 1, and just keep giving it Number 1s until we're at Volume 12, and I would be okay with that, too. But there are some titles in here that I would be happy to believe were starting to go on indefinitely. And the fact that every single one is over before the end of the year... I need to go full Q-tip and I need to just fuck with it for a minute because you actually don't know what you've got till it's gone. I sometimes think about the fact that when Hulk would hit 400 and 500 issues, I tapped out. I was just like, no, not that incredible. No, he's probably got heart swelling. His organs are probably fucked up. No. But I then think about the fact that we're at Incredible Hulk number one again. And... I, for a guy who is like, you know, on like a bodybuilder journey and got to be so big, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't connect with the Hulk at all, actually. Um, I love She-Hulk. She-Hulk, who had a number one in January of 2022, but ultimately due to the creative team, we chose not to uh, follow it, right? Um, Hulk relaunched under Donny Cates, right? Or was it Al Ewing? Oh, it was Donny Cates because he did Al Ewing did Immortal Hulk. So Al Ewing did Immortal Hulk. Donny Cates did this new like Hulk is a spaceship in the Hulk or something. I don't know. And it didn't work out. So they cancel it and it's relaunching and it, it's going like low-key relaunch, which is what I'm always saying. You can have a rebuilding year. You can have a year where you put a guy that no one's heard of. And if it works out really great, great. You've got yourself Bendis on Daredevil. But if it doesn't work out great, fine. You've got yourself Diggle on Daredevil. Who cares? Right? And the balance there. The, the trade sort of becomes 
when you take a step back and you think about a guy like Hulk, who's always going to have a book, even if that's number one, number 1,000, or number 1 million, or just the date, there's always a Hulk book. Uh, in part because Marvel doesn't want to lose the license on it. So I wonder how much this episode, having talked about it, having done this episode, having lived this, experienced this, the parts of it that I remember, um, I wonder, and just like that, I wondered if turning the Empire State Building pink would improve our ratings. Hey, Kim. So, um, no, but the, the real question becomes, I do wonder if by discussing the value of the number one as much as I do, I am enabling the conversation by acknowledging that the industry chooses to operate under this. Maybe I'm the problem. Am I the asshole? No, I'm not the CEO of Reddit. But it does lead me to say then, what if we just legacy numbered the fuck out of everything? What if we, you, me, Kevo, our beautiful audience, and God between us, just started legacy numbering everything? What if we didn't worry about the actual value number of the issue and instead referred to them by their release date. Release dates are sequential. That's the great thing about the date. It's sequential. And you can put a note, part one of something, with the date attached. For my money, for my sake. And you know, Tori, isn't that what Marvel Wiki is for? You know what, Tori? I agree with you. And the minute Marvel chooses to pay me for uploading their information for them, hey guys, I'm available. I've worked for the Disney company. I left with a clean perner and a beautiful record card. I have multiple managers who will speak positive things about my engagement. And everybody at the Marvel offices I've interviewed and worked with have very nice things to say about me. Call me. But the other side, oh, as do all of the live events people, anybody in Marvel live events will tell you I'm very reliable. So um, <clears throat> the other side of all of this is then what do we do as an industry to move this marker forward? What I want is the death of the comic book. Death of the printed issue? Yeah, no, go away. Fuck off. Uh, we produce enough digital books that we could release a trade every week. And if you think trades just mean big, expensive books, nah. We have a beautiful line of books at Marvel that print three, four, five issues for $6.99. That's incredible. That's a deal. And like that's spoken as a guy who's kind of Greek, so I'm kind of cheap, right? Like I'm, you know, I want to go to Mykonos, but I, I want you to buy my drinks. So, like, I'm willing to pay the $6.99 for the one book with five issues in it, especially because that's a soft paper cover. Daddy loves a soft paper cover. Like, 12-point paper, 14-point paper is fine, too, but then I'm looking at $7.99, and I'm losing interest in that binding, right? It better be a staple. So, um, what I'm trying to say is I want to kill the number one because I want to kill the numbers of comics, and I want to just get to enjoy comics. But the problem is there's no way to look at things without numbers. Why do we take tests in order? 
Well, because the questions are numbered and there is no way for all of the questions to exist in the same space and you just grab one. Because that's the same of comics, you can't just, oh, this one goes next and just keep reaching into the ether and always have the right comic. We have to have numbers on them. The date, numbers, whatever. The trade-off becomes how much mind we pay them. Do you treat March 3rd as more special than you treat March 11th? No, but March 3rd came first. Isn't it more special? No. We don't see the days of our lives as decreasing in value simply because we've had more before. We still accept that each day can be fantastic and fascinating. So why do we assume that all numbered comics exist within a vacuum that defines them by their numberclature? I myself am inclined to build a new value Maybe the cord I feel inside that every co- that every comic gives me, the cord that I feel from each comic, I'm going to call it tabinclature. And I'm going to just get my, my tabinclature. I'm going to start labeling every comic. G minor 7, number 1. C minor 7, number 7. I really like minor 7s. Um, B9, 6. Great. Right? I I've loved this conversation because it made me realize how much I don't fucking care about numbers anymore. I write math textbooks that I don't care about numbers anyway. <laughs> I write math textbooks. I'm so boring. But I don't care about numbers anymore. <laughs> I think that's really fair. I really like that one of the things you ask is by like, you know, by us producing a whole segment about number ones, are we contributing to number one culture? Which is a fair question. But I also sort of feel like uh we all as a fandom go through our lives just kind of continuing on with things as they are buying the next book that comes out buying the number one regardless and i know it's tough because we always want to support the creators and we do want to read the story and we like bishop war college it's a great book it looks great it reads great the pacing is tremendous the cast is diverse and fantastic the editing keeps it clean within the line it's a great example of a book that works but just doesn't fit we've just gotta i think we do have to talk about it because i think we need to all come to personal and community understandings about what the hell we're doing here i really do so love the idea of just going to date um just go to the date the date is a fact like we can even change our calendar but then we would change the date system and we'd have a whole lot bigger things to worry about than the numbering of comics if we changed our date system i i think there's all kinds of ways to then do like the next phase uh you know not number one but the the start of a new art there's so many different marketing ways to go about it um, but we don't constantly have to play this same game over and over again with like, do you love it? Will you buy it? Should we put money in it? Oh, you didn't love it. We're not putting money in it. We're going to start this whole thing over again. Do you love this one? I just, Tori, Tori Sheehan, um, I believe the phrase is technically just boots the house down with, if number ones could be side quests, the legacy numbering picks back up larger arcs after those six issues. I actually want to challenge Tori. 
um, in a good way, because I think her point is brilliant, and I think it actually can be taken further. Tori, you said, what about X-Men, uh, what about Marvel Wiki a little while ago, right? And then you challenge with what if number ones are side quests? What if things that don't become the story stay one through six? And what if they get represented with bonus pages when they become the thing? And we then have it represented as... 795 through 801 because we see the opposite all the time spider-man the clone war was reinterpreted as a five issue miniseries uh sort of streamlining the 80 90 issues of the story we see all the time when things like dark phoenix saga get retold in exiles or look I have never taken this hard a stance on it in my entire career. But no, seriously, fuck yourself if you don't like grand design. I'm sorry. I don't know what's wrong with you. What is wrong with you that you don't like cover songs? How dense do you have to be to not understand that it's an iteration, not fact? No one is saying the books you read are wrong. No one is changing the past. It's just a cover song. Oh my god. I have been so chill about how much I like those books on air. I've literally watched our numbers go down. I don't care. Like, I legitimately think Grand Design is necessary. Because I think a lot of people who read the tragedy of Julieta and Romeus had no patience for Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare. So... I'm going to stand by Grand Design. I think we should cover them. Let's throw everything away that we've planned. Tomorrow, we should go live and cover Grand Design. Deal. Done. No, seriously. I'll cover Grand Design live tomorrow. I'm in. I have the I have the the, the Treasury editions. They're beautiful. Mm-hmm. I bought them. Those from gorgeous Comics. books. They're so beautiful. You have, uh, do you have the omnibus of them? No. We you got... have the first Treasury. Yeah, we're missing one of them, I think. The other thing the treasuries have that is so beautiful that they have those uh, beautiful representations inside of classic issues. Um, actually, one of them is a number one. So chill here. One second. TK, ramble about something for 30 seconds. You know, the one uh, number one situation that we did not discuss, which was like kind of a big one for this, and it's in the cover image too, is uh, Daredevil. And it's one of the ones I'm most kind of scared about this was like the Zadarsky run is where I became a daredevil fan and the red fist saga uh, has been the culmination of like all of my personal like getting into daredevil coming off the heels of devil's reign which was a beautiful crossover one of the best done crossovers marvel's had in a while and then this like very tense 14 issue finale run you know but again there that was another one we got a a new number one when we ended uh devil's reign you know the daredevil went for like 50 issues we did devil's reign then we went back to another number one we're doing this 14 and now we're restarting again with uh like an entirely new status quo for matt murdoch and i don't know how you feel after that yeah you know i really like the author i really love saladin ahmed i really love chip zadarsky uh i'm just not sure 
this is doing justice to the amazing character to the amazing mm. arc of you know daredevil's last like four years hello hi i'm you so missed all the daredevil talk oh god that's so hot um i can only imagine it involved uh the incredible tori sheehan so tori i see that you asked what a grand book. design is and i imagine tk did answer no i um, did not i really oh. just did a whole rant about daredevil yeah. grand design is a line joking. that marvel produced that's actually tori it's really in line with daredevil man without fear by um frank miller it yeah. kind of says what if we took all 300 issues of that book and boiled them down to a couple of specialty volumes and what if they are just fully reinterpretations like number one ed pisker uh who did the art for grand design x-men is maybe one of the ugliest artists in the entire universe uh makes art that is so confrontationally hateful i am just obsessed with it i i was an ed pisker fan in the first place i was a hip-hop family tree guy in the first place so like this was for me and then when i found out the whole world hated it i was so confused uh i i was so excited i almost bought the omnibus and the special edition treasury editions i thought this was one of the greatest books that i've ever read um it has beautiful representations of x-men number one and of giant size x-men number one and each of them is actually lovingly recolored by a master of industry which i'll get to in just one second but uh there is some really beautiful art in these books if you're ever really curious um but each one of these specialty number ones is recolored beautifully uh, Grand Design number one has X-Men number one recolored by Ed Pisker. Number two has X-Men number one with pinups by Arthur Adams, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, and Joe Madura, who Joe Mad is like the greatest thing that ever happened to Marvel in the 90s, um, all recolored by Pisker. And then my actual single favorite issue of Uncanny X-Men of all time is in the third one. Uh, I get made fun of a lot for it, but I own over... 15 reprintings of uncanny x-men 268 it's the issue that reveals that captain america wolverine and the black widow all knew each other oh, uh, yeah, there you go i have every i as far as i know i have every hardcover that's ever printed it um i've bought it I, I bought Jim Lee XXL. I spent $115 on Jim Lee XXL just because they had confirmed that it would be the largest that X-Men 268 was ever printed. Uh, and I I bought action figures for reprints of it. <laughs> it's my favorite issue of any comic, I think. Uh, Badlands by Daredevil. But. Okay. This got away from us, but it was a really great issue, a really great episode because it allowed us to really talk about some major things that are really true to what we're discussing. We're talking about number ones and how number ones have reshaped comics as a whole. I think the nature of number ones is that they have become corrosive and deformative. They are meant to enhance, but they can be taken in ways that are really, really corruptive and like. You know, that is really kind of the nature of any power, isn't it? That's the nature of anything. Like, you can enjoy, you can, like I mentioned earlier, bodybuilding. You can be, you know, a bodybuilder who does cycle and you can take it too far and go crazy with it and become unhealthy. You can be a person who 
drinks recreationally while on the air or you could be somebody who drinks even when you're not on the air it's i pretty much don't drink on the air. <laughs> uh so you know i'm probably not an alcoholic but uh, you never know right um so you could always take it too far and i think that is the nature of number ones they're an addictive power their magic they allow you to reset the barometer on the expectations of your yet yeah, truly they allow you to reset the barometer on the expectations of your audience what your audience is in for and how your audience is going to interact with the material the thing that i hope for number ones is that we can remove the idea of the number one i've never seen a play on the second night, I don't think I've ever seen a play on opening night where I've been like, oh, it's opening night. They've got bugs. I'm like, that's for previews, idiot. <laughs> yeah. Opening night is for five-minute curtains. Opening night is for extended bows. Opening night is for the producer to come out and say, it means so much to me that you're all here. I don't know if you guys know, but this season right now, it's actually uh, equity season to contribute to the fight against AIDS, and we're selling Broadway bears. So if you, we also have um, the cast will be out in speedos selling signed posters. The number of chorus boys that have sold me signed posters in speedos, and I mean for shows like A Christmas Carol, Mary Poppins, Fraggle I, Rock, live on Broadway. I have to jump in to say Tori's clapping for everything that you're saying, but I honestly was going to say I could probably just reflash her comment of truly over everything you're saying because you know she's going to agree with it. Um, so now I have one real question for you, TK. Yeah. I'm not kidding. One real question for you. Yeah. Bonus episode? I'm doing it tomorrow, man. Whether it's me by myself or you're here. Okay. Bonus episode. Jake, you want to come on? Tori, you want to come on? I'm ready to do this. Let's do it. Dissenting opinions. Let's go. I'm ready to write the dissenting opinion. I'm the liberal judge. So um actually no, Tori's the liberal judge, the liberal judge. I am uh I am just uh in the wake of her awe and amazingness. Now Tori I'm the rural juror. The Irma Lerman Merman murder turned the bird's world lurid, the whir and the purr of a twirler girl she would be oh, world were demure. Um also a Kari Wurr reference. <laughs> Tori says, I would love to see special number ones with so much BTS stuff. It's basically a mini trade. Tori, you would have loved the 90s. Yeah. Uh, Tori has a book of the pound in the next 40 hours. So she, she's a queen. She's a fucking queen. Oh, um, Tori, you get it, girl. I'm actually glad that this was kind of an unfocused broadcast in some ways because it was focused. It actually had a point. I was going to say, it, had... it was like solidly focused, but within that focus, it was all over the place. Comics broke me, right? This is a hashtag going around. Comics broke me. They really did. Um, every time I got really close, every time an editor was like, I'm taking special interest in you, something would happen. And comics broke me a long time ago. And a young man named Jonah said, I love Nightcrawler. And I really want you to help me to understand why he brings so many people hope. And it really made life incredible that as Jonah came into his Nightcrawler is 
religion, right? Because we all have new religion, right? You don't need Jesus to tell you how to be a good person. You have fictional characters that are more recent than Jesus's. So, you know, pick your fic, right? And for Jonah, Spider-Man, Nightcrawler, these characters that live by a code of ethics. And for me, it's Daredevil, it's Thor, it's Cap, these guys who live by a code of ethics that involves drinking heavily and having lots of sex. So, well, Cap probably doesn't do that part. Anyway, um, and he said, I want to cover these things. And he brought me back to comics when I never wanted to come back. And then Jonathan Hickman gave us House and Powers. And my life was just never, I mean, like, I saw the future and it radicalized me. I was changed, man. I literally, I remember, I read, I read the Moira issue, the life and times of Moira McTaggart, probably uh, 10 times that first day. Keva yeah. was like, I've never seen you read something so many times. Are you okay? And I was like, you don't understand. Moira McTaggart was a mutant the whole time. Yeah. And you weren't? Okay. <laughs> I wasn't, man. It changed my life. And I don't like that she's a villain now. I would love to find out that in Life 11, this never happened or whatever, but um comics broke me and i had a hard time coming back to them and the way i came back to them was i i sort of lost a little bit of myself in becoming part of this show i was an engine that turned out responses to things and i saw life in bleed and gutter and border and i projected everything through color serpent and i kind of forgot that i also love to live life through musicals and I kind of forgot that I also love to live life through serialized novels. And that's the nature of comics. You know, Tori Sheehan, uh, comic comic professional Tori Sheehan, by the way. Truly. You know, comic professional artist and writer on award-winning titles. So let's just like, because I'm also on those titles, so I want to keep those awards in my heart. So um, let's just be clear. Comics professional Tori Sheehan asked us, you know, what's more dangerous, losing fans or burning those bridges? And like I said, I don't, you know, I'm sorry, gaining fans or, you know, burning the bridges. And I don't think you really lose fans. Once comics are in your heart, you can't lose them. Even when they break you, you. Now, girl, we've won some awards, so don't even fuck with me. I. <laughs> but truly. Um, I want to save comics. I do. Like, I am Jan singing i'm gonna take over the world like i'm i'm gonna save comics and i don't know that i want to write comics anymore like i do i want to write tons of comics but like i want to i want to create reform so that people who want to just tell stories can but i want to engineer universes where the stories can exist safely and I know Marvel does too, and I know DC does too, and I know Image and Boom and IDW and every one of these studios believes in the thing I'm saying. But the thing that stops them from being able to engage is that they're corporations and they belong to fiduciary responsibility. I am one man who believes in the things I believe in. So, you know, I think about guys like Blake's Buzz and I think about uh, websites that try and keep comics legitimate and... um I just feel like this is probably the last time I want to talk about number ones as an art. I'm pretty happy if this is my death knell for number ones. And uh, from here on out, we just talk about the stories. They happen to have containers. They happen to have numbers on them. But I'm done with number ones as of today, I think, like as an idea. 
I mean, I like that. I like that this, you know, we spent a solid hour and a half talking about this thing that is like a cornerstone of the industry that we can't really escape. And that like our options are put up or shut up when it comes to like, are we going to stop buying them? Maybe if it gets that bad, are we going to start making our own and doing our own thing? Maybe. Yes. I mean, like that's what we're trying to do. And in the meantime, I think we've really just spent some time having the, it's not even come to Jesus moment because we knew we were here, but just kind of talking it out. There's Kid Riot. Um, talking it out, talking about our experiences living this. And I think it's something we all as fans have to do at some point. You have to ask yourself, what is the cost of your fandom? Yeah. Are you truly responsible for keeping the entire industry going on your own? They were never going to cancel X Factor. But goddammit, did they make us afraid every month in the letters page of Peter David's X Factor? And uh, they were never going to cancel it. It had, you know, cogs for crossovers three years down the line. And a writer who was guaranteed to push out two fucking books a month. What world were they going to cancel that low-cost, necessary title? You are not responsible for keeping comics going, but you are responsible for keeping independent comics going. And if you want to check out an awesome independent comic, you should check out KidRiotComics.com. Uh, all joking aside, and, um, you know, I am oh. very proud of Kid Riot, Capes and Boots, the Kid Riot universe. Um, I'm also very proud of my contributions to Young Men in Love, an award-winning GLAD and gaming awards winning title. It's really cool to be part of. Um, like I'm a faggot. Like I'm a humongous faggot. Like a full on Michael Arden faggot. Yep. I'm a Michael Arden faggot. I love <laughs> guys, and uh, actually, kind of pansexual. And ladies are real hot too. <laughs> Oh man, boo. You love everyone, but you super love guys. I do super love guys. And getting to be part of I don't know, getting to be part ah god. I feel like a queen when I'm being asked to talk to my younger self. Getting to be part of what I never had as a kid changes me. I don't know if Pete Milligan's really gay or not, but Pete Milligan, since I am four years old, has written gay characters into everything he's ever written and has made me feel very safe. I can't tell you what it would have meant to me as a kid to read Pete Milligan say, I'm a gay man. Like, I'm struggling to not cry on air. If Pete yeah. Milligan had just said, I'm a gay man, that's why Shade is about gender dysphoria. And that's why my take on uh, X-Men is so queer. And that's why my Constantine, while marries a woman, because his Constantine actually marries Epiphany Greaves, the greatest mm -hmm. female character in the entirety of the Hellblazer universe. She is literally perfect. Um, John's gayer than he's ever been while married to her because gender roles just stopped mattering to Pete Milligan. If I could have ever had Pete Milligan be like, I'm a gay man, it would have changed my life. And, and so I want to be that for other people. Kevo, at this point, put yourself in the, yeah, put yourself in the and it's call. not, it's not anyone's job in particular either. Uh, and no one's saying that it's anyone's job for you to do that. But, you know, definitely at the very least know that every single one does count. Every single one does matter. And uh, yeah, so, you know, be brave if you are. Don't be afraid. Step forward because it's a lot of fun, too. And it's great for us to all stand together. Uh, yes. speak, speaking of great, 
Uh, I'm looking at the back. <laughs> I'm so fucking gay. I'm looking at the back of Grand Design number three, and the bulge head Pisker gives Wolverine is <laughs> just fucking. <laughs> that that's part of the Grand Design. It sure is. Uh, man, short, thick, hairy men. Did you do it for me? So, uh, anyway. This brings us to the end of an incredible episode. God, I've had such a great time talking about this. And now I am kind of insistent. I don't care if it's by myself or with 10 people. Actually, I know uh, Mike Mike M, who co-owns Cage Club, this incredible network, has made me swear that I'll invite him. So uh, Mike Manzi might shoot me if I don't give him that option. All right, sweetie. But- let's see who's available for the play date before we commit. Okay. Nope. Won't have a tantrum, but I, I promise we will play. I had to babysit yesterday for all of our nieces and nephews <laughs> and my sister, so I'm still in babysitter mode. I promise. Okay. If you're good. Okay, Kevo, what's on the board? What's on the board? Let me bring up the board. Well, there is our. Uh, uh... I just need to point out that Tori said the phrase "get that grand D, fam," and I am now going to start referring to my penis as the grand D. The grand D. I hate the that. Grand Didn't D we rename it God. something recently? Ah, oh, so Dude, many names. If so I tried to keep names. track of the number of things that people called my penis, oh my God, it's yeah. like a book of baby names at this point. The most common one is a problem. <laughs> the problem. <Again. laughs> the problem. Well, this is the full large main coming attractions board. Uh, you know, I'm just gonna say it one more time. This whole board has me really excited. Uh, but the thing that has my my brain spinning the hardest is probably um Barbie. I am the most excited for what Barbie might do to the face of media. It could be nothing. Mm. This could be another one of those, like, we all think it's going to be Brooklyn the Musical. We think it's going to be Lennon Murphy dropping her debut album, and My Beautiful is going to be the biggest single of the year. It's just going to be property of goat fucker all over again. <laughs> but um, it, the other thing that I am, like, like licking at it over, Kevo, if you would go back to the big board. Yeah. I had such a great time watching Secret Invasion today. Mm. Not because it was great. It was great for 15 minutes and then it was average for 30. But the greatest time in my life as a comic reader was genuinely 2007 to 2008. Literally thinking any issue I opened of a Marvel book, someone was a scroll. I would call that guy down there and be like, Kevo, this person's a scroll now. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I was like dying every month. Uh, what do you mean Marvel comics are still coming out? That was me when we were in college so like nothing affected me the way secret invasion did i fell in love with comics as a medium because brian michael bendis taught me fear he really taught me fear for characters i love now this show is not that this is not that product this is not at all that product but what this is is an incredible attempt to recapture an emotional engagement that upheld an industry that was in a bit of a free fall with things like uh, World War Hulk not landing quite as tight, with the MCU burgeoning and the X-Men not being allowed to interact with it. So, goddamn though, Nick Fury, Nicholas Joseph Fury, and Aquarius, this was what I wanted, and uh, 
I oh you know what, Tori, let's throw it in. Tori says, fuck the AI, but it was great to see that title sequence. Yeah, fuck the AI. It was great to see the title sequence though. Um you know, yikes. But uh okay, boys, tell me. Uh oh, n- my number two goes to Haunted Mansion because you guys are gonna listen to so much audio from the sixties starring Ron Howard as a child trapped in a mansion. No, I'm oh, serious. Ronnie Howard? It's Ron the kid that I've made you listen to uh, hundreds no. of hours of is Ron Howard. Uh, I don't know if I remembered that. That's crazy. <laughs> you have listened to Ron Howard as a child scream like four hundred times. Crazy. All right, what are you guys excited about? Kevin, you, you first. Well, then I want to put Tori on the spot first and point out that uh, first she has committed herself to Little Mermaid. Okay. So, uh, I do want to be where the people are. Heck yeah. Uh, and she also requests a double feature Oppenheimer Barbie with many drinks in between, please. Baby! I don't plan on seeing Oppenheimer. Uh, that people are saying that they are walking away from it like broken. I watched Antichrist. Uh, uh, yeah, can't scare I'll me. Read about it first, uh, what's that movie I saw? I saw. Um, I always call it a Nordic track film, but I know that's not what it's a Serbian film. Oh God, yeah. I've seen. I'm good. I don't need Oppenheimer, which is a Serbian film, but actually happens. Yeah. Um, but the baby is the Earth. We are the baby. The whole time's both. We are the baby. The baby is Earth. Are and, we? Are um, we Willem Dafoe's penis? We get smashed I by the rock. Not. Smash mouth. <laughs> you are an so, all star. <laughs> I am probably most excited for the last three on the board. Uh, Lower decks is something I've super fallen in love with uh, as a super expanding uh trekkie uh i'm really intrigued by whatever the heck ahsoka is going to be the marvels looks really cool uh i also really super agree with you on barbie uh as someone whose favorite movie is josie and the pussycats i that's all i really want from from it is just like a really cute fun warm heartfelt look at consumerism and the things that we do to women uh, I only wish Barbie was starring in Ahsoka. Okay, I Kevo, I agree. The last three are pretty. I'm pretty fired up for. Um, I'm really excited for the Marvels. As I always say, that trailer really just got me. Uh, putting uh, Beastie Boys Intergalactic as the track. It's been such a long time since I've thought about a Marvel movie, Marvel movie trailer that didn't do like a dark, gritty reboot of a song as the backing track i always go to the pinocchio age when of ultron they call me macarena <laughs> we're, we're an hour away from that um so yeah i'm pretty stoked i think that's going to be really fun uh barbie of course i think is just you know game changing uh, i am about to go walk away from this broadcast and watch secret invasion so i'm not quite there yet but we'll see and i uh as nico made me commit to uh grand design i made nico commit to uh live streaming the july 14th through 16th Splatfest, uh, which is the Splatoon free uh, weekend long. You know, you comp- have to buy me a Switch for that. <laughs> okay, deal. Uh, it's going to be 
vanilla ice cream versus strawberry versus mint chocolate chip or mint chip, not even mint chocolate chip, just mint chip, which weird options that chocolate isn't one of them. But either way, you pick a team, you you play a lot of turf war, uh, you come out the other side with a bunch of loot and it's going to be all kinds of fun. We're going to stream it. It's going to be a blast. Mint chip just is mint chocolate chip for people who are too lazy to say the whole thing. The chips True. are still the chocolate chips. People True. are just... And yeah. anyone who knows, I have this habit of doing uh, slightly sexually provocative uh, cosplays that highlight said problem. And I plan on uh, doing a Splatoon of Finland cosplay yes. in the very near future. Uh, since I'm like 15 years old and found out that there's a guy who basically does just everything I want to do in leather. I've always waited for my Nico of Finland moment. And I feel like Splatoon with a little bit of Duke Nukem in there, right? That's my Tama Finland look. Yes. I'm looking forward to you being very creative with the splats. <laughs> anyway. Very right. clever, sir. Actually, you know, I just want to say Splatoon is the most immersive video game universe I've ever enjoyed. Um, That's why I, I like it so much. I like a lot of RPGs, but they're not immersive. RPGs aren't immersive. They're escapism. Splatoon is immersive. Um, it's the world of culture. Yeah. Anyway, less than two hours. The dream. Um, I'm literally going to leave here and go reread these for probably the 345th time. Yes. Uh, I've I've really read them like a couple hundred times. My notes for them. Uh, there's a Google document that the notes for them are 13 pages long. <laughs> of course they are. That's actually like shorter than I would have guessed. So I'm impressed. No, each. Of course. <laughs> yeah. We have to start making that stuff available for the people to read. Share uh, your knowledge, Nico. And I do just want to say, because this is something we like to do when we do comics. Uh, last time I plugged the Geekery in Matawan, which uh, you're crazy if you're driving through Central Jersey when you don't make uh, a quick stop at the queerest comic shop in the area, the Geekery. Uh, I picked up each one of these who specialty ordered them for me at Zap Comics uh, in Manalapan, New Jersey. Uh, right near Freehold, for those of you who know Jersey by landmarks, right? That's uh, Freehold, Jersey, uh, off of Route 18. You don't want to miss Zap Comics. What a dream. What a shop. They will order anything for you. Their back issue bins are good. However, they pale in comparison to the majesty of uh, some of the amazing shops up in Maine. Yeah, yeah, and I know we got our copy at Coast City, which I love so much. It's my local literally three blocks up the street comic shop and of course we've also got casablanca which has a fantastic selection incredible uh, seriously bar none back issue complete set selection oh they my really God. got some legit stuff and they do great back issue bundles um and yeah uh everybody listening come up and visit portland because it's a really cool city now, Kevo, I know you don't have a personal home comic shop from your childhood or anything, but I do just want to say I have some really great memories of getting um, nearly every issue of the JMS Amazing Spider-Man for a dollar each at Rogue <laughs> Comics in Cranford, where you grew up. Uh, the shop is gone. The I, yeah, the one I had before that. Any approximating one I had before that growing up in, like, seventh grade was already gone by the time I met you. It's, it's not a very... Uh... It's a very quaint little town, not very comic shop friendly, but maybe someday. So anyway, I'm off to go play with the Grandee and I guess uh, maybe read these comics too. 
And um, until next time, be brave, evolve daily, and we'll see you. Oh, you did it too fast again. Normally we do like, no, okay, that's my new sign off. That's my sign off. I'm not doing like this, like 19, like ad lib shit. Then yes. And I'm by my myself. I don't know the button. The what the button. fuck button is it? End <laughs> broadcast. No, this button.